We must have a love for, for humanity. By the time anything's gone through two or three of our hands, it comes out a little bit different than what we had anticipated. So we're going to look again a little bit more in Ephesians 5. supposed to be 22 through 33, but we're start at 21 because that has, excuse me, a lot to say that we need to be mindful of as later on. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I've often stated, husbands spend the time reading the passages dealing with the husband and not the wife. Wives spend the time reading the passages that deal with the wife and not the husband. We have that tendency to say, as a husband and wife, here's what it says, that this is what you're supposed to be doing. And the wife will tell the husband, here's what you're supposed to be doing. We're to live our lives in such a way that we can bring honor and glory to Christ. Mentioned a little bit this morning in the auditorium class, we live in a world that has so gone astray from that. Sad even in our, own land, in our own land where we have gone in departing from the will of God and wanting to do our own thing. We've concluded in so many different ways that since we cannot or will not control what we want to do emotionally, we're just developed drugs that allow us to deal with the consequences of what we've done emotionally in places where we ought not to have been. It's a sad commentary on our society, but in reality that is indeed 
the way that it is. Valentine's Day is coming up Thursday. It's a big holiday for us, if you will, this love situation. But how do we really define love? I use the expression, the ooey-gooey, mushy stuff. Or is love defined by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8? This is more along the lines of how we ought to love one another. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked and taken into account a wrong suffered and on it goes. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Indeed, love never fails. Biblical love will never fail. We think about love and husbands and wives and it's hard not to think about Hubert and Walterine Harden celebrating 72 years of marriage, working on 73. I'd mentioned at one time that even regardless of how long we've been married, that husbands and wives still kind of know the buttons to push on the other one to get a reaction. And afterwards, Walterine told me that that wasn't entirely correct. They'd been married 70 years by that time, I guess, somewhere in there. And she said, I haven't found his button to push yet. That he was the most even person that there is. What a commentary on them. I, had a deep, I have a deep love for them. They're just barely old enough or been married long enough to be my parents. And I told them at one time, but you know what's strange? My parents were old enough to be their parents. My mom, her birthday would be the 26th, her mom would have been 115 years of age. Daddy would have been 125. So my parents were old enough to be their parents, and they're old enough to be my parents. But there's a good definition of love. The staying together for all this time. I see it expressed throughout the congregation from time to time. It's always interesting, either up here or in the back, but I see it more particularly when I'm standing in the back. I'll see couples when they stand up singing the invitation song or singing a song. I see the couples holding hands, married couples. And that's always pleasant. But it's based more not on just the emotion as it is upon 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. This bind, this love that binds us together. It's interesting, I was reading recently that recent research is beginning to document that divorce in general is harmful to adults and particularly painful and harmful to children. Recently, they just discovered this. Where have they been looking? A recent research in Georgia shows that divorce and unmarried women having children are costing the government over $150 billion a year. Why? Because we've left God. 
We've left what God has said. We left a purpose that God has set forth for marriage. We need to understand that purpose of marriage. And we need to understand five pillars of a successful marriage. The purpose described in Genesis 1 and in verse 28. And God, and God blessed them, the man and the woman, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. This states that the ideal relationship and marriage of a man and a woman is lifelong. Commentators on this verse agree and note that this statement of of God in Genesis 1.28 rejects all other types of relationships and how true that is. Again, we live in a society that is constantly changing the concept of marriage or the lack of it, just living together or whatever else may be involved with legislating laws trying to do away with the concept one man and one woman for life. You read now of those in the news who are trying to go to a genderless society. Having children and then saying that they're not going to identify the child's sex as male or female. They're going to wait until the child determines what sex they want to be if they want to identify with any of them. That's going on now. This is the society that we live in. We lost this concept of what God has said. We say we live in a quote unquote Christian nation. But every time I hear that expression, I've asked the individual if, if America is a Christian nation, who baptized America into Christ? There may be Christians living in America. There may have been a time when we were guided by some of the principles in the Bible. But we've always stressed our own individuality and the freedom to do what we wish to do along that particular line. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Jesus said that at the beginning of creation, made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. The word separate is been toned down a little bit, if you will. The King James says, let no man put asunder. It has a meaning 
of let no man, no person rip apart the husband and wife. Because they are what? They are one flesh. They are united together. And yet man has that tendency of wanting to do just that in their life. What's important for a successful marriage? We read that in the reading this morning out of Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 33. Rory alluded to part of that in Titus 2. Read some passages there, as well as other passages along the way. There are five pillars for a good marriage. Two of them involve communication. One involves forgiveness. Another involves submission. And ultimately, the responsibility of teaching the next generation. One of the pillars is listen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In James 1 and verse 19, God gave us two ears and one mouth, but one would hardly know that. We tend to want to speak before we have listened. We're anxious to put in our two cents before we've ever heard the other person. We're already formulating our response. I'm listening, but I'm already formulating what I want to say back in response to that. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Be slow to wrath because the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We want to jump in before we really have heard. We like to be heard. We need to have that communication where we listen to one another. Of course, sometimes we can attribute a lot of our not listening to Well, see, some of it might be age. Some of it might be as I had to go to an ear doctor one time under the insistence of somebody because I wasn't hearing. And as the test progressed and as the test concluded, the ear doctor looked at me, or hearing doctor, and said, why are you here? Because my wife said that I needed to come. She said, why didn't you tell me that at first? You've got selective hearing. There's a voice level that I don't hear completely. And I said, the age problem isn't helping any. I'm getting harder to hear, and she's speaking softer with her problem as well, so that's not a good combination. And she believes that because I'm in the house, she's in the house, it doesn't matter where in the house she is or where I am. I may be upstairs, she may be downstairs in the back bedroom, and she speaks. She thinks I need to hear her. We like to be heard, though. There's something about sharing. We have, because one, we have different perspectives on it. 
of what we've seen and what we've heard, different views, and that needs to be heard by one another. So we need to listen along the way. When we do not hear, we tend to grow apart. But we need to listen as one of the pillars. The second one is to listen again, but this one is to listen to God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they know me in John 10 and in verse 27. The sheep know my voice. You have to be attuned to God. It's not speaking in an audible voice. So he's speaking through his word. And there should be a hunger and a thirst for wanting to know what he has to say. Because it has application to us. The purpose is that we could learn more about the nature of God. To know that he hears and we need to hear him. What we call the model prayer some call it the Lord's Prayer, but I, we call it the model. I call it the model prayer, Matthew 6, 6 through 9. But as it begins in verse, or as it's stated in verse 8, God knows what we need even before he, we ask Him. And ours is to listen to God. He answers, but not in the way that oftentimes... <laughs> We want him to answer. And often in the time frame, or not in the time frame, that we would prefer him to answer us. And part of that is to learn. I want to ask. I want to receive. I want the benefit. I want the blessing. But I do not want the required effort called patience for that to be the case. I want it now. And God answers sometimes, it's not now. There's another time when you will understand. It's often the case, I understand my father a whole lot more when I became a father. And I understood him a whole lot more when I became the father of a son. Well, there's a lot of years in between when I fully didn't appreciate or know the blessings that I was receiving by the words and the action of my Father. And that's true spiritually. Sometimes we're simply not aware of the blessing that God gives us for His working in His time. There have been many occasions when later on I've been able to go back to God in prayer and to thank Him for not answering the prayer that I had requested earlier because it wasn't the wisest prayer or request that I could made. Time gave a different slant on it. And at times God does that with us. But we need to listen to God We know without a doubt 
What He wants from you is your trust in Him. Walking by faith. Trust in Him that He has the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge, the patience, and long-suffering to take you from where you are right now in this life, in marriage, and to take you into eternity with Him. Ours is to be patient and to listen to His Word. As you read what we call that model prayer, understand the condition that we, or the view we're to have towards God. Hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. We understand the kingdom is the church and that is here. We're wanting God's will to be done that the kingdom may, the borders may spread. We're praying thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You think about when you pray that part as you think about that part. You asking God that His will would be done here on earth as His will is being done in heaven. And then you think about how His will is being done in heaven. When you're asking God to have His will be done, you're asking that you be submissive to His will. Whatever that will may be. That he leads in a direction that we may not want to go at the present time. He leads through trials that we may not want to endure at the present time. But we're asking that his will would be done in life. As any father, God does not grant everything that we would ask for. And again, we ought to be grateful for that. Grateful for my father having the wisdom to say no in many cases for the request that I've made. Not that I was always patient with his request or his answer of no, but there was wisdom behind his no. Learned that as time went on. God has the wisdom. Sometimes the answer is no. He answers our prayers, but he answers them in accordance with his will. And sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not now, and sometimes it's wait along the way. Do we listen to him? A third pillar is to forgive one another. Over in Colossians, the third chapter, Verses 13 and 14. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another. Listen. If anyone has a, a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you. So you also must do. Works in marriage. But above 
all these things. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Forgive as God forgave you. Forgiveness can be one of the hardest things to do. And yet, without forgiveness, there can be no reconciliation when we do something wrong and hurt our spouse. Forgiveness does start with true repentance, admitting to the other person that we've made the mistake and ask for forgiveness. Granting forgiveness can be equally as hard, but it is the only way to do. What makes it more possible or easier to do is remembering that God has forgiven us of much greater sins. But the two are linked together. To receive God's forgiveness, we must forgive. The fourth pillar is to submit to one another. What's involved in our lives? That each of you must love his wife, each of you must love his wife, and he who loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, verse 33. But submitting to one another in the fear of God, in verse 21. Submission is a sign of both love and respect for others. The world doesn't see it that way, but it is when we learn to submit to one another and when we learn to submit to God. The thinks about the other. Remember love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8? Love does not seek its own. Look out for the best interests of another. What can I do to help you? What can I do for you? We usually are a little self-centered and want that to go the other way. What can they do for me? But this is a sign of love and of respect. And the last one is to teach the next generation. It goes back to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Teach. Each generation has responsibility to teach the following generation. But it comes from example as well. Teach to love from the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You teach by example. Is that what they see in us? Do they see in us a deep love, compassion for, a desire and longing for 
knowing God and his word. What greater love that has been stowed upon us than God giving his son to die for our sins. Regardless of what the world has to say, God has not changed. And his concern, his love, and his definition of marriage of a man and a woman. He used Ephesians 5 to discuss that relationship of a husband and wife. He closes out that by saying, listen, this is really in reference to Christ and his church. But it also applies to the husband and the wife. My task is to read the one that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I ask the husbands, how are you doing? We tend to pick on, pick on the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And that part's not that hard either. Wives, how are you doing? How are you submitting unto the Lord? God in his love and his mercy he does patiently bear with us. Stating the marriage relationship from Genesis to the current time. And oh, and oh how God's people struggle with grasping the concept of what it's all about. God, be merciful to us. God, be patient with us. And help us to grow in the way that we ought to grow. To be pleasing in your sight. As we're saying that invitation song, do you listen to the words? Husbands, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Wives, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. May those words as we sing them come from our heart, which is not the physical pump, it's the mind. May they be deeply impressed on our hearts and our minds that indeed we will become and be the people who have shown and are showing the demonstration of what it means to love God. If your life is not where it ought to be, if there is indeed a need for you to make a change within your life, 
If we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing. <laughs>